It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the right. And hello. Hi, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the program. Here we are in November. Woo-hoo. I can't believe it's November. I'm I'm feeling kind of sad about that. Um, yeah. Uh, however, Especially, especially because we're seeing holiday lights starting to go up everywhere. It's oh like, well, no! well yeah, but you know, we already saw holiday lights go up. We saw those uh, the Halloween lights. Yeah, uh, which, but no, this this we're talking about all the the big holiday lights. Oh, you mean the lights that I never took down from last year? You mean those? Oh, oh yeah. Oh wait, wait, look at this. Boom, 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 boom. Ah! No! <laughs> Oh, well. Uh, and it also means that uh, I did, I took my plants indoors, and uh, here it is. I popped that up on uh, some social media the other day and got actually quite a bit of response. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it wow, was a, look at that. It was a beautiful, some beautiful light outside. And uh, so all the plants, you can't really see the plants indoors. You can see the silhouettes of the plants indoors, mm-hmm. but you're really looking outside and there's some beautiful colors outside, uh, but they're all safely in. I even got, I swear that Cheflura, and you can see way over on the right, um, it's it's eight feet tall um, and it's got to weigh a hundred pounds um, mm-hmm. at least. I was dragging that thing in, uh, you know, one step, <laughs> the two person job, one step at a time up the back steps, and then put it on a rug, and slide it across the room, well through the kitchen, through the dining room, and into the living room, and and there it is, wow. and wow. but that's my Christmas tree. Yes, as you yes. know, yes. that that is what I use. I put, I'll decorate it with Christmas lights. Uh, it used to be that my our setup here was over at that end, and that end, and and the Scheffler was right behind me, and you could see the Christmas lights uh, at uh, at the yeah. holiday season. So there you go. Uh, hey, uh, my my, uh, my uh, philodendron that that grew to like is still occupying half of my kitchen. I haven't figured out where that's going. Where, and that's the problem when you bring plants indoors. Where mm-hmm. the heck do you put? I I'm negotiating with Kathleen. 
about plants that we can put upstairs. Okay, um, most of them are down here, and Look you can this. see. Do you have a skylight up there, or just in the living room? No, but it's the second floor, and it's the southern exposure, so there's a lot of light there. However, it is her office, so she gets to say what's in there, and she needs uh, space to walk around because she has her Fitbit. And she does her steps, and sometimes she's not a, a – you got one of those things, too? You got one that you could probably actually read. The thing – I don't understand – okay, what I don't understand about Fitbits is, is how tiny the writing is on it. You can't see anything. Oh, well. There's different kinds. We'll All talk right. about that after the show. People are here for gardening. Yeah, they are for gardening and for uh, the environment. And today we're talking COP26 or COP26. That's in the second hour. Uh, but before then, we're talking about um, – Greentown Rockford, which happens to dovetail nicely with what's going on at Bell Bowl Prairie. We will have Brad Roos on the program for Sustain Rockford um, and talk about uh, what they're doing there. The event is this Friday, so uh, get ready for that, and we'll tell you how you can participate if you want to participate. But before then, we have... uh, a friend of the show who has been on our program a number of times. Um, He is, I don't know. He's a, he's a, he's a pretty fancy guy. Actually, is that whose phone? Is that mine or is, or is that? No, it's mine. I'm muting the mic. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Peggy. Uh, Hi, Alan Armitage. Uh, Oh, I like that. Would you do that again? Do that again with your glasses. That's my, that's my my best look. (laughs) That was great. That was right on cue. That is Alan, right Ar- uh, Doctor Alan Armitage. I pro- should I have put the doctor in front of the Alan no. Armitage? No. Okay. Not have. Uh, he is a professor emeritus of horticulture at the University of Georgia. Um, he's a writer, speaker, world renowned. Uh, written seventeen hundred books. Um, last year. Uh, just last year, <laughs> right? Very good, Peggy. And uh, um, he's, you know, you're famous when you have your own app. Um, and uh, and by the way, I have this here because I wanted to make sure that I could hold this up. We're not talking about this, but you know, you need to if yep. if if you care about. In fact, let me let me go to the wide shot for me just for a second. Okay, here we go. Uh, and here's the book. If you uh care at all about gardening if you're a serious gardening gardener you want to get herbaceous perennial plants edition for mm-hmm. a treatise as he says on, on their identification culture and garden attributes by dr alan m armitage so uh i i assume that i've got the app opened up right here all right peggy's got the, we're, we're we got you covered Boy, alan all right we have groupies alan uh unfortunately we're not going to start by talking about gardening although uh we're going to get to it because i'm not going to let you get away without answering a few gardening questions and i hope that some of our viewers uh uh, will send some our way as well because uh this is the guy this is this is one of the guys you, you you certainly want to talk to um but alan has a new book out and it is this book, Tales of Big John and Other Creatures. Um, and what's the subtitle? Because I can't, my, I need to put my glasses on to, to read that, Peggy. 
Extraordinary Stories of an Ordinary Family. There we go. Uh, and she has a copy because Alan likes Peggy better than he likes me. Uh, and, and, and I'm not sure why. He autographed it. Look at it. It's, it's autographed as well. And uh, we have... Yeah. We have the link at my uh, blog post. Uh, go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and uh, it, we tell you how to order the book. And you promised, folks, Alan, that it, you will sign each individual copy if they want it. So, so here's what we're going to do, Peggy, Mike. And I'm glad, Peggy, you got the book finally. Mike, nothing personal. No. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. We're, we're going to get you a couple of other books as well. But uh, for anybody, and we're going to talk, and thank you, by the way, both of you for inviting me to speak with you and your group. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about getting books, and certainly I, I'm really excited about this last one. Uh, you also mentioned uh, the perennial book, and just for what it's worth, if you don't want to use the big book, i.e., if you find it that's a little bit too much, you know, this one has just come out recently as well. And, um, All right, uh, now, now you, bet, you better hold right. on there so I can get the, the full screen. Yeah, sorry about shot. that. Oh, I, no, that's okay. I, you're, you're welcome to do that. Here we go. All right, now, little, there we go. And this has got lots of color, lots of pictures, and uh, that's also available uh, on, on the website and through you, Mike. Thank you. But anyway, uh, for those of you who are interested in books, you go through Mike or go through my website, alanarmitage.net. And Mike, can, you know, as much as I love Peggy, I – I said to Mike, if any of your crazy viewers, uh, as a bonus for putting up with us, want to buy a book, go to the website and just put in the word Mike, M-I-K-E, and you'll get free shipping. That's just for you guys. Oh, right now. I, now I'm going to have so to add, add that. I got to add that to the blog now when, when we're done with this. Thanks. Thanks for giving me more work to do, Alan. Okay, I appreciate well, that. Well, there you go. Well, I'm happy to help you out, Mike. And, uh, but that <laughs> so that means, but that means go to your website, go to alanarmitage.net and order it. Don't go to those big booksellers online. Go to you. Well, you can get it on Amazon and all that stuff. But a, if you if you buy a book, we, we don't use that word, order, Alan. We we sorry. don't use that word. Yeah, really. Okay, the other booksellers, if you right. go through me and the website, I will immediately email you and say, would you like this personalized to you, to your mother, to whatever? And of course, I'll sign it. So you get a little bit of extra, um, even though the value of the book goes down after I sign it. You get a little bit of extra once uh, once you go through the website, alanarmitage.net. Fantastic. So go to alanarmitage.net. That's what I advise you to do because it's right there on the homepage. The link to it, you click on it, and then you can. And now, but however, we have to tell people why they want to get <laughs> this book. I mean, yes, because as I mentioned, it is not about gardening at all. Uh, although, you know, you refer to uh, your, your trials and tribulations trying to go uh, from Canada to Michigan State University to the University of Georgia uh, and, uh, and, and, and become... Back to Canada. You know, and the world-renowned uh, author of so many different books. Um, what, I, what I wrote on my blog post is that you're, you can tell even from herbaceous perennial plants that um, you like having fun, and you're, you're not necessarily. You're, this is a this is a serious book, but you're not a serious guy, um, and that comes out uh, in full force in Big John. Um, it is a story of not. It is a story of your life, 
and your family and your kids and your and your your wife and your dogs and every everything else you can think of weddings and catastrophes and supermarkets and on and on mike and mike your mic is doing something weird what's that i'm hearing a little weird stuff here Uh, i'll back off and just see if that i i have no idea why it's doing that okay well yeah supermarkets and everything else yeah Well, the, the thing about this book is it's so di- very different than what people are used to. Uh, they're stories of children growing up. They happen to be our children. And the only difference mm-hmm. between the stories of your children and my children is that I wrote them down at the time. So this book is actually 50 years in the making. Uh, and, you know, when I'm talking about my daughter who is now... I want to tell you how old she is. She has two wonderful kids, and one of them is in college. Put it that way. Uh, uh, but, older know, than they were she, when you wrote the stories down. Absolutely. But when she was born, she was two feet tall, and so the whole thing about, about you know what do you do with a two foot tall kid uh, who's almost as tall as you are? So uh, you know stories like that, and I hope that everybody just has a good lots of smiles even a laugh out loud and there's a few stories in there too i think you're going to even think twice about yeah. but the idea of doing this book is something i've been wanting to do for a long time because i've realized and i think we would agree that i won't say most gardeners are parents but you know, a lot of gardeners are parents but a, a lot of parents aren't gardeners and so i want to reach that group as well and and uh, it's going to be one of these. It's it's an inexpensive book. It's you know, a little bit more than twenty dollars. It's it's uh, an easy book to give to people. It's a great gift book. So I'm hoping you're going to enjoy it. And I'm. It's come out this week. So I'm, you guys are the absolute first people to hear about it on, on this kind of show. Wow. So there you go. So so one of the things that's that's um, really fun in the book. And Mike, I need the camera back. Um, All right. Is you've got these illustrations <laughs> scattered throughout by. Uh, Valerie Nichols, like here, here's you at uh, two in the morning trying to work with your oldest daughter. <laughs> but I mean, just kind of really good illustrations there. Yeah, how did, show how another did one. I've got, your, I've got your camera okay. there. It's, it's, there we go. Yeah. And the illustrations, uh, the illustrations make the book come alive. And as I said, I've been thinking about doing this book for some long. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was called the big pinch. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That, Great story. That, so she's terrific, and she really does make them come alive. It's a this book is a cross between for those of you who are old enough to know Irma Bombeck times Doctor Seuss, and uh, so I hope it's something that makes you smile. Yeah, kind of Irma Bombeckish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although you do refer to uh, uh, Doctor Spock in there a few Ooh. times. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, you guys didn't yeah. exactly agree with uh, his advice, did you? When, when you're young and young and young and having little babies dr spock seems to be the the man to go to and you can't you, you gotta do your own thing you, know, you gotta take his advice and then figure out what it really means so it was it was it was that's part of the, the story so for sure um i'm i'm really fascinated that you uh wrote these things down as they were happening that mo- as you you actually mentioned i believe in the preface that most people don't do that and and no. so they have these vague memories of what happened and and what's urban interesting, legends of what happened right and what what happens is is you tell stories they morph they 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 or and but they then at some point they become hardened in amber 
So that's the story of the way I tell it. But of course, my partner tells it completely differently. And both of those have hardened in amber. Um, did you find as you were writing this and you had to embellish a little bit because I'm sure you, you didn't have all of the details as you wrote these stories. Did you find that, uh, your, your, your wife, Susan, or your daughters, Laura or Heather, or even, uh, big John, uh, your son, uh, would say, no, dad, that's not the way it happened. Or did you not show it to them as you were doing it? Oh gosh, I had to show it to them. I mean, a bunch of you are going to ask me when you read this book, does my son still talk to me? Um, <laughs> Do any of your kids still talk there. to you? <laughs> there's some stories there that, oh, I definitely went. And whether they read them very thoroughly or not, you know, these are kids. What do I know? But they certainly had the opportunity. And, and the, the major, there were some embellishments, of course, just with the grandkids who weren't there when I wrote them, obviously. and and uh, But they're pretty close to... The substance is close to, to what happened, but um, the the dates are certainly tricky. I, I I must say that I, whether they were two years old or three years old, I, I'm really not it exactly sure. Matter. Susan helped me on that. Yeah, Susan was good. She tried to edit as best as she could and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> tell me that we'll still have some children to talk to later. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> although the, your grandchildren really enjoyed hearing the story. See that it, you have to skip a generation. Uh, yeah. to really get uh, the appreciation for for those stories uh, i'm i'm fascinated by uh laura coming uh out <laughs> so to speak at 22 or 24 inches long when she was born oh. i i was 22 so i i've i've always said well i was i was a huge baby coming out and i'm still a big baby um but uh <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, well, the illustration, I don't know if you have it, the illustration of me trying to hold Laura when she was born. I mean, she folded. Uh, <laughs> she folded. Wait, wait, wait. Now, now I, so- got, I got to go back to, uh, to uh, that. Hang on a second, Peggy. I'll find that one, and here we go. All right, yeah. Yeah, there you go. But, but anyway, you know, so, I mean, she was a lovely baby, and thank the Lord, all was well, and she was healthy. But, um, you know, she's six foot two, six foot mm-hmm. one, six foot two now. So, um, you know, that was, it was fine. It was just, she, she was tall. And because she was tall, you know, she always tried to make herself look smaller. She tried to make herself look shorter, I should say. And uh, mm-hmm. she was very shy and all that. But because oh. she was tall, but she was, she's fabulous now. Well, you mentioned, uh, and, and Peggy, I'm, I'm imagining you were pretty tall in your classes, right? Um. Yeah, I've been this height since I was eleven. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I was this height pretty much early on, and so all of and you mentioned this in the book, Alan. All the kids who are always in the back of the mm-hmm. uh, the the class photos, and you just see their heads, and you don't see anything else. Some, <laughs> so, so, sometimes you, you don't even see their heads. The ketchup and the mustard he was wearing. So that's there you right. Go. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. I mean. Susan and I are, are, are reasonably tall, but we're the shortest in our respective families. Uh, so we, we tend to, my son is 6'5". We tend to have taller wow. children. Uh, but that's, 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 uh, that's Big John, of course. And that's, um, so no, we're, 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 we're blessed. We're blessed. Where, where, did the, where did the genes come from? Well, you know, as I say, we're short in our families. So I'm, I'm about six feet. My, my wife's about five Ten ish, but we're the shortest. So the you know the uncles and aunts and all that stuff they're they're there, uh, but, but we have normal children too. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because uh, Kathleen, my partner's uh, family, is kind of like that. Her uh, brother, her brother's family uh, has a, 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 a uh, they had a girl who's uh, now six foot one, uh, and yeah. two two boys, six foot five and six foot six. So yeah. it happens. Yeah, I'm a short <laughs> one. So. Yeah, so, yeah. I, my parents are both over six feet, and I'm the short one. All right, there you go. Well, at any rate, I want to tell folks uh, if if you want an enjoyable read, and as uh, Alan mentioned, uh, this would be really good for the house. You know, here we are. You're looking at shortages uh, in the supply chain. Not for this book. Uh, um, you can get this book and um, give uh, a friend or a family member uh, a nice, pleasant read something to occupy them on these dark winter months and dark winter nights um, and uh, and uh, go to to alanarmitage.net or you can go to mikenovak.net and the links are there and and you should uh, take advantage of this uh, if you can. Uh, good job there, uh, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. And I just want to say one thing in, in just in, in signing off here. If you're interested, uh, I'm interested for gifts for Christmas or whatever it is that season coming up apparently, uh, do it soon. I only say that because the post office is going to be chaotic this this season. It just is. Uh, everything is slower. Everything is in short supply. And I've already, uh, you know, started to sell a few books on the website. I say it's only been out a week. But uh, if you're interested, and I, you know, if you're not, no worries. But if you are, do it as soon as you can, because I'd like you to get the book when you would like to get it. That's all, or any other book for that matter. Yeah, and and if you, you want to get it for a gift, yeah, you want to get it before the holidays, definitely. Um, like, but like your new perennial book, right? I, yeah, you know, yeah, come on. Why not? If you know, but if you're like I said, if you're a serious gardener, this is something you want to oh, consider. Yeah. Uh, you want that under the tree, definitely. Um, but you're not getting off that easy, Alan. We still got eight more, eight oh. minutes here. Okay. No, 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 okay. no, no. I'm not, I'm not, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I told you I was going to hit you up for, for gardening advice. And by the way, Peggy, just quick question. Deb wants to know how tall you are. Five, nine. Okay. That's, that's pretty reasonable. That's uh, well, a, that's, that's short from my family. Really? And, and what are your other sibs? Uh, well, I don't have any, but oh, okay. Dad, your, your dad, dad was. Uh, six one, and my mom was six feet. Or my well, my dad is now my height, but he was six one, and my mom was six feet. So <laughs> we know we know what happens there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about very briefly, um, because I never know. I I'm not, I'm I'm a northern guy. You were you were from Canada, Montreal area originally, right? Uh, you still say a boot, which I really appreciate a boot. A boot. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but then you moved to Michigan to go to Michigan State, and then you moved to Georgia. And Michigan was not so different from Canada, uh, except for the, the tornadoes, um, I would imagine. Uh, but Georgia, boy, that's, that's, that's different. And here we are, the uh, first week of November in the north. We're all getting ready. Um, Rick DeMaio, our meteorologist later in the show, is going to tell us that in about a week and a half, we may actually have a big snowstorm here no, in, no, no, in no, Chicago. No. Um, but in Georgia, there uh, uh, there are still some things are still green. I know that trees lose their leaves. Uh, the question I have about gardening in Georgia and in the South in general: What is different about being in zone? What are you eight? 
seven B, eight A, whatever, whatever is in vogue. Yeah. 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 So this means that to some extent, uh, you can garden all year round in Georgia, right? Okay. Time out. Okay. Time out. Okay. I, I, and this is this is this is this is true. So where I happen to live, I happen to live in what, what you know, North Georgia, in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. Essentially, geographically, it's hot as heck in the summer, but we have four seasons. We don't get the snow Chicago gets. Uh, we don't get the cold for as long a period of time, but we do get freezes and freezing rain, and we get snow occasionally. So we have four seasons. So we are still in the temperate zone. So the the the, the perennials I grow are essentially similar to those that you grow. You probably grow them better because cold is better for perennials in general. Uh, but having said that, I I couldn't go any further south. My body won't allow me uh, to go any further south. <laughs> but if you talk about growing gardening in the south, and you're talking about like you know South Georgia or North Florida or whatever, it is a totally different beast. Mostly because we don't get they we don't get as much cold as necessary to essentially vernalize and get those great perennials into dormancy and out again. Uh, but, but having said that, my daughter is in Macon, Georgia, which is in central Georgia, and she does a pretty good job with, with gardening. But we don't do it four seasons. Well, certainly here, I don't. I am about ready to take my garden down, but it still looks pretty good right now, probably compared to many others. The carrots are still doing well, and, you know, I've got leaves on trees still. I've got Our color is about a month at least later than your color, but we do get some pretty good color on the trees. So it's, it's different to be sure. And it was a big learning curve, but um, it's still gardening and we still fret and carry on and get sore backs, sore knees and are broke. <laughs> so other than that, it's not a lot different. <laughs> well, well I, okay. Now the question I would ask is, uh, okay, as you say, it's in some ways it's, it's harder because yeah, it the, is much- plant, the plants can't go into full dormancy, but is that because folks in Georgia are trying to bring northern plants into the southern regions and and rather than going with the natives that are adapted to Georgia weather well as a generalization I'd say no but as certainly some are some people are Uh, for example I invite certainly Peggy and Mike and any of your viewers to come see me in lovely Athens Georgia it's a a lovely town a lovely place and you'll see some of most of the same plants you're growing but I can't, I can't grow peonies as well as you do. And to try to do that, I can still grow them, but they just, you know, knowing what they're supposed to look like, they're not very good. And the same thing, in my opinion, is true with things like dahlias. Uh, you know, grow a dahlia or a peony in Alaska and you're going to have the best plants ever. Uh, so trying to bring those down here, you're going to be a bit disappointed. But I can grow just as good a daylily as you can. I can grow <laughs> just as good an echinacea or a coreopsis or a rubecchia as you can. Um, but we can also do some things like Alstroemeria that won't overwinter for you that might for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some things like that that are quite different and it's a learning curve to be sure. But, you know, if I'm going to try and grow a delphinium here, I mean, I'm also just, you know, just shoot myself now. Uh, although <laughs> having said that, having said that the breeding on delphiniums is coming around so that there are some that are a bit more warm tolerant than, than, uh, than before. But, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Mike, there are people that want to, you know, want to bring in a still be here and they can grow them. They're just not nearly as good as what you're doing. It's, it's a matter of degrees more than yes or no. That's, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of still be as for delphiniums. Um, I think it's Tracy DeSabato Sabato Alice who says 
nobody can grow a delphinium well. So, uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, why? <laughs> well, why would you even try? Yeah, I tried back in the day and I, you know, and, and once you get it to bloom well and you go, wow, that's spectacular. And then the plant's leggy or it's just not performing well. And you just, you move on to, to hardier stuff. Move on. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like tulips. It's like tulips. Well, I mean, this let me is ask year... you about, I was going to ask you about that. Bulbs. Do you have the same issue yeah. with bulbs in Georgia? Well, we do in a way in that I can grow, I can't grow, for instance, I can't grow uh, uh, snowdrops, galanthus. Huh. I can't huh. grow uh, winter aconite. Or, you know, I, I just can't grow those as well as you the, can because I don't really bold. The, the early bulbs. bulbs. Now, I can grow some great early bulbs. I can grow crocus if the squirrels don't eat them. But, uh, you know, th- those, are, but tulips, tulips, even for you guys, are generally annuals. You know, yeah. you know, in Montreal, we had them as perennials. But even then, after the third year, they had kind of petered out. So, but daffodils, uh, we do a fabulous job with daffodils. And the other one's highest since I can grow them, but I hate them. Uh, so, um you know, bulbs are a bit of an issue. I, I, I fill my garden with bulbs. I really do. Uh, and I have some terrific uh, things in, in the, 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 you know, the smaller ones. But you do a better job in bulbs than we do. <laughs> well, it's not. We have nothing to do with it. It's, it's simply where we well, live. Well, I see the climate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Again, it's all about cold. It's all about generic how it's cold. We. It's cold we. <laughs> yeah. The, the generic we, yeah. Or the royal we. I don't know. Uh, that would be the royal wave right exactly well uh alan uh this is fascinating stuff i think we'll have to have you on again soon and talk about i love uh talking about differences in gardening and what people can get away with and and what they can't get away can expect i mean lots of times is you know somebody sees it it's in a magazine it's been prepped for months And then they try it themselves, even though it's supposed to grow there. Yeah. What can you actually expect? What, what, what would be fun to talk about would be, you know, okay, let's talk about roses in the south and north. But let's talk about some of the new things the breeders are developing because where the breeders are going is all about heat and humidity. That's where the breeding is going. Yeah. Because, ah. uh, you know, how, and I mentioned delphinium. We'll never grow a delphinium here to save our lives. But we might grow a delphinium that will last a bit longer than the regular old delphiniums. But we're seeing a lot of that kind of thing now that uh, – you know, we're the breeders are doing a lot of some some good, some bad, some terrible, some ugly as sin, but it's fun to talk about anyway. Right. And and well my advice and, and I hope you agree is that if you want to grow a, a tulip, grow a species tulip. Mm-hmm. Uh, they <laughs> I love them. I love them. I love them. Yeah. And the squirrels and, and don't seem to like them as much. Well, What's that? And the squirrels don't seem to like them as much oh. either. We won't, we won't go there for now. All right. Well, Alan, Dr. Alan Armitage is the author of, uh, hold it up again, Peggy, uh, Big uh, Tales of Big John and Other Creatures, available right now. Go to alanarmitage.net or go to mikenovak.net, and you'll find a link uh, to purchase the book. Uh, read it for yourself. Give it to a friend. Give it to an enemy. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Use and the don't code forget Mike to put Mike. Save on shipping. Use the Mike. And by the way, Mike, you asked about growing, going from north to south. I think I showed you this book called uh, It's Not Just About the Hat. And that's essentially the story, storybook again about how in the world we got here from there. And not, that's a royal we, by the way, because all of us get here from there somehow. But anyway, yeah. that's on the website, too. If you're yeah, interested. obviously, he's written 1,700 books, so you should start. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And we have one really quick. 20-second answer from Deb 
who says, what is a species tulip? Well, if you go to any decent bulb grower, you're not going to find species tulips at Walmart, but if you go to any decent grower online, there's a number of species tulips, uh, Atlantia. There's a whole, t there's three or four really good ones, some yellows and some peppermint types that, uh, you know, are the, are the species. They're not, they're not, they don't have a fancy name. Try those out. And I think you're really going to be, and they're not any more expensive, quite truthfully. Well, uh, and, and they're basically what, what tulips used to look like hundreds exactly. of years ago. Yeah, they're very much shorter. And yeah, before. usually shorter, usually. And you put, by the way, and again, <laughs> I know you might get rid of me, but if you're doing bulbs and you really want to get a show, plant them bulb to bulb or, you know, don't just don't make soldiers out of them. So if you have these species <laughs> tools, get 12, put them together in yeah. one area and you just love them. You know? The idea <laughs> is, uh, here's what I, how I would say, don't, dig a hole for each bulb dig a big hole put a bunch of bulbs in so even if you have only two big holes you've got two really spectacular displays of bulbs coming up as opposed to little one here one there one there it doesn't do yeah, anything and, and if i might just mention one other thing on bulbs i dig a big hole to exactly what you say and i put different bulbs in that hole i'll have daffodils tulips and crocus in the same hole okay so the crocus will come up first and then maybe the foliage of the of the daffodils and, and anyway, so one whole and I, it always changes. I'm all about changing the it's the, the plumbing. So it's, it, it's, it saves anyway, on the back. I'm lazy mostly. Yeah, uh, Dr. Alan Armitage, thanks so much, buddy. It's good seeing you. Uh, we'll we'll see you again real soon. Okay, have a. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. All right. Enjoy the fall. All the best. It's the okay, Mike. You too. All the best. It's the Mike. Come, come see us. Uh, yeah, everybody, go down to Athens tomorrow. All right, we're all we're, I, I, Thanksgiving I'm, at Allen's. I'm, I'm there you a, go. No worries. I'm getting a bus together, and we're all going down there. Okay, it's the Mike, Mike Novak show with Peggy Malucky. I'll get this out eventually. Uh, stick around. <laughs> From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters. Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. That's Brad Roos uh, from Sustain Rockford. Uh, welcome to the program this morning, Brad. Good morning. Um, it's, it's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Coming up this week, Friday, November 12th, 8.30 to 4 p.m. at the Embassy Suites in downtown Rockford. It is Greentown, Rockford. And uh, um, it is a series of conferences uh greentown has been going on since 2007 i was kind of surprised that it has been that long and it's uh, uh, a friend of the show john harris and a5 also seven generations ahead 
put on these conferences, and they've been all over the Midwest in Michigan, in Indiana, Illinois, Ohio. Uh, they need to add uh, Iowa and uh, Wisconsin at some point, Brad. <laughs> but this week, uh, the conference comes to Rockford. Uh, tell me a little bit about, and we'll get to the uh, the whole uh, issue of Belbo Prairie, but I want you to talk a little bit about what uh, what you, uh, folks can uh, plan to see if they take part in the conference this week. Well, it's going to be a, a very big conference. It's, it's uh, way uh, bigger and more people coming than we had expected. We are now pushing 500. Wow. wow. We, had we, yeah, we had originally figured uh, that we'd be looking at about 300. And, in person uh, and virtual, would, right? Uh, it will be both in person and virtual. Uh, so far, as of Friday, there were 483 in-person registrations. My goodness. So the majority of the people, the vast majority of the people will be in person, which is fine. And we have COVID, COVID protocols in place mm -hmm. so that everyone will be safe, will be socially distancing where it's necessary and appropriate. So it'll Great. be good. Fantastic. Uh, tell us a little bit. You're one of the founding members of Sustain Rockford. In fact, let right. let me um, pop that up so people can see the uh, the your your logo there. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, about Sustain Rockford. Sustain Rockford started uh, when five of us from Rockford went to the uh, Dubuque, uh, Iowa. By the way. Uh, Growing Sustainable Communities Conference. That was their ninth annual conference like that. And so that <clears throat> that conference uh, was uh, attended by about 500 people. And those folks were, uh, I learned from government, they were from the tech sector, they were from uh, public works departments and city and county staff members, uh, as well as academics and students. So I went um, because I was interested in the Bee Branch Creek, which is the Bee as in Bumblebee. Um, they had, and Dubuque, they had suffered uh, tremendous property damage as a result of repeated flooding of the Bee Branch Creek. Uh, over a 12-year period, they had six FEMA events and wow. had lost 100 homes and tens of millions of dollars of flood mitigation uh, had I've gone into that. And Rockford had a similar situation. So I was interested to see what they had done. Wow. Uh, they knocked it out of the park. $239 million uh, multi-year, multi-funding sourced uh, mitigation effort that turned it into a, a, what people call, I guess, a linear park, as well as uh, mitigation at the top and the middle of the Bee Branch Creek watershed. So I went um, thinking that this would be what I would learn my, my academic background is in chemistry and environmental studies from the University of Illinois, you know, go Illini. <laughs> so, you know, there you uh, go. <laughs> but I don't but, know. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> how are they doing you know, in football? I'm always yeah. going to offend somebody, but uh, anyway, so I thought this would be a great refresher and I was totally blown away and humbled, humbled by the scope and scale to which people have gone. Uh, to create sustainable communities, that whole communities were adopting plans. That was the mm -hmm. big takeaway. And so I came back to Rockford and I said, do we have this? Do we have a sustainability plan? And I just didn't know it. And mm -hmm. for the sake of your viewers and yourselves, perhaps, I mean, I've been in neighborhood development for over 40 years. Um, 
I've, you know, I've uh, led statewide organizations. I've done consulting in four states. I, I've been around and, you know, how come I didn't know this? And how mm-hmm. come other people didn't know this? And when I asked in town, do, you know, our community leaders uh, at all sectors, do we have this? And people said, not only did they say, no, we, we don't have this. We, we tried this with a, impl- with a planning grant from during the Obama administration, but it never got legs uh, mm-hmm. to the point of being holistic. And so, like, unfortunately, like perhaps many sustainability or many plans, it sits on a shelf somewhere. And wow. what these communities were doing was anything but passive or, or you know, sitting on a shelf. They, they were mm-hmm. extraordinary. And just just as a background, I mean, I, I got, I've gotten to know a lot of people who, you know, in various communities who do this. And sustainability officers in Madison and Grand Rapids and Dubuque and Elgin and all that. And um, in talking, for example, with uh, Annabelle Wilkinson, who is up in Grand Rapids, I asked for a copy of their most recent sustainability plan. And she said, uh, we don't have one. And I said, you know, momentarily shocked. And she said, no, we've just built this into this is a core value for us now. We no longer have a separate sustainability plan. Sustainability runs strong as a strong theme through everything we do. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I, I thought that's just stellar and appropriate and uh, it's collective and I, I loved it. So um, all of the folks uh, who've been in an orbit around uh, what Sustain Rockford is doing uh, have promoted this uh, Greentown conference. And here we are uh, coming up. We were fortunate Great. enough to meet John Harris and, and Gary Kaneen from Seven Generations Ahead. So uh, knowing that somebody else had invented the wheel was certainly a big, a draw, big draw for us. Uh, to make it a simple and successful event. So what changed? What changed from the Obama administration, which was not that long ago, right. and and you were not able to, excuse the pun, sustain this uh, uh, group? Uh, what has changed in just the last few years? Is it the urgency of climate change that has become more and more apparent? And in, in, in the next half hour, we're going to be talking about the climate conference in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, was that it or was it something else? Is it, was it the right people who came in at the right time? Was it you and other people who, who made this happen? What, what, what changed? Yes. I mean, <laughs> all you know, of, all this, of the above. The, yes, yeah, that's the, yes, exactly. Right. Um, the time I, was I, now I, right. <laughs> yeah. I think we've all heard the expression that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come and for an idea to come, it takes the right people, the right circumstances, um, everything uh, came together beautifully for this conference. And I, I do think you're right, uh, Mike, that, you know, a lot of people are just knowing that the urgency is just there. They're seeing it. Um, you know, the giant sequoias are burning. Uh, the Colorado River, which carved the Grand Canyon, is drying up. The mighty Mississippi is flooding our towns and cities, and the Great Smoky Mountains are losing their crown of clouds, and we're all seeing it. So, mm-hmm. and that's just in this country, let alone the the island nations in the Pacific and the others that are starting to have to look for a new place to live. Yeah. Uh, so, and, yeah, and, I think we all know. And I think Brad, some of it may also be on a global scale. It's really hard to see any difference, but locally in your own town, yeah, yeah, you can, you can contribute. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that's where, uh, 
it's almost always where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? You know, it's right there where you are and where your sphere of influence is. Very few of us have a national reach. Uh, some do, and some have even an international reach. But um, most of us have uh, friends and family and colleagues in our own cities, and we can uh, get together and motivate them. And politics usually takes a back seat. Well, and I guess that would be uh, one of the driving forces of Greentown, which is take all these individual cities throughout the Midwest and have them focus on their own issues, as you talk about, and suddenly you have a whole. You have all these people who have done that, they've examined that, and then they look around and say, wait a second, we have a lot in common. Um, So you, you reach some sort of critical mass. Yeah, you know that's true. And one of the things that we that we found out early was, <clears throat> we found out early that uh, in our community for in in the Rockford region there are lots of wonderful sustainable things going on. We also found out that the people who have implemented those things typically felt like they were doing it alone, that nobody else was doing anything. Mm. You know, and so one of the things that a conference like this uh, brings, if if nothing else, and of course there will be lots else, but it brings that sense to people like I am not alone. People are doing wonderful things in in this community and in this region. What we need to do to to uh, get the uh, where the sum is greater than the uh, or the the whole whole is greater than the sum of the parts is to bring people together and then uh, knit together a plan that coordinates people and helps leverage Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, shares uh, the that, resources. Yes, that and and the enthusiasm in our community, for example, I I think that there are, um, and I think a lot of people would agree, a lot of people who have been outside of the orbit of public activity uh, as environmentalists and um, sustainability advocates of one sort or another, feeling like they just didn't have any place to stand. There was no real there was no handle you could say mm-hmm. uh, in public policy or public activity for them. So they've been, you know, sort of uh, out there as a uh, high energy, high resource people, but not engaged. And so when yeah. you have a sustainability plan, what you hope for is you hope to engage those people and say, Oh, what you have been doing and thinking about and caring about is really central. It's central to what uh, we need and want for a, <clears throat> a sustainable community. So, Get on the wagon and let's let's all do this together. And I think a lot of the sustainable things that are happening, plans that are going on, you know, they don't make the news. They're not in the newspaper. People don't see it. And this right. an oppor- this is a great opportunity to see what is happening. People right. don't even Peggy, know what's I, going on. Peggy, I, I think not only do people not see it, but when they do see it, they don't see how it fits. They th- they see it as a don't you think I think they see it as a one off. So for example, Severson Dells, which is a great nature center outside of just outside of Rockford, and it's a it's a wonderful facility and it's growing mm-hmm. and they've got great leadership out there. And people would say, well, isn't that nice? Well, yeah, it's nice, but nature is healing. Nature is has a healing force, and I'm not talking about mystical thing and you know crystals and stuff like that. I, I'm talking about Walking in the woods reminds mm-hmm. you that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And that yeah. for your mental health is good. Being outside is good. Being outside with your friends and family is good. It reminds you that life is not all about hard surfaces. And I, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not I all think, about the I screen think, in front of you. No, no, it's yeah. not. And I, and I think 
Well, I, as but and also begin. hard surfaces, uh, you know, concrete and asphalt as as well. Well, that's actually what I meant. Yeah. But yeah. Impermeable surfaces. Impermeables. But, yeah. Yes. So I, I yeah. think as people begin to see how Severs and Dells, as an example, fits in to mm-hmm. community sustainability, or how uh, the our wastewater treatment facility, which is the Four River Sanitation Authority, how they mm-hmm. fit in tightly and importantly in what we're doing, or groundwater, which is massively important in our northern Illinois uh, part of the country. So, you know, beginning to see how this stuff fits together, you know, I think is really invaluable. And preserving the land and preserving the water versus development. Yep, and it's the truth. And that takes us to something that has happened in the last couple of months in Rockford. This conference obviously was planned long ago. Uh, and then suddenly you became the center of the environmental universe in Illinois, at mm-hmm. least, um, when there were plans, the plans from the Rockford, uh, Chicago Rockford International Airport to uh, create a road and add uh, more facilities uh, because uh, they've gotten money uh, from various sources and they wanted to take advantage of it, except it was going to be uh, at the expense of Bell Bull Prairie, which is a remnant uh-huh. prairie, a gravel prairie, uh, uh-huh. th- of which there are maybe 20 acres left in the entire state of Illinois, and this is just under uh-huh. five acres. And people mobilized, and the airport backed off, but we're still, uh-huh. you, know, you know, and it's, it's interesting that you uh-huh. had this conference set up. You were planning to talk about this, but now uh-huh. you have to, which uh-huh. I think is a good thing. And I mm-hmm. think it's a wonderful confluence of events. So you say mm-hmm. you were talking to Carrie Lee, uh, who mm-hmm. is the executive director of the Natural Land Institute. We've had her on the show now a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's terrific, and she's been fighting the good fight. What is the latest? What have you learned about this? Yeah, well, first of all, when you say, you know, I mean, Carrie, is, Carrie and the Natural Land Institute are really at the heart of the action uh, they, they've been at the, the tip of the spear, as it were. Uh, but the interesting thing has been how uh, people have been touched and moved about this particular, um, about the Bell Bowl Prairie and how many people have responded. I mean, the grassroots response has been enormous and really very important. I mean, we are what? The prairie state, right? And, and in, by Kerry's uh, calculation or, and others, uh, there is less than one hundredth of one percent of Illinois natural prairie left in the prairie state. Yeah, that's that's and, pretty much generally uh, accepted as the figure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the current state is that on the 27th of October, <clears throat> and I think a lot of people may have seen this, um, the Natural Land Institute filed a complaint. They filed a complaint, a request for a temporary injunction, and a request for a temporary restraining order on the airport authority. Uh, to stop them from their plans to uh, put, push a road through the highest quality portion of that dry gravel prairie at Bell Bowl. And so um, the very next day, and the very next day, uh, the airport authority uh, provided a written agreement that they would not, they would stop action on that road until March 1st of 2022. So a few months and they also agreed that they would re- remove one of the planned detention ponds from their design as part of their airport expansion. 
there are two uh, detention ponds that are originally in the plans. Right. And they will remove one that was endangering the Belbole Prairie. Um, that's good. And it was the result of, you know, 6,000 people taking uh, the yeah. call to action and 30,000 letters, literally 30,000 letters that went out to state and federal wow. officials on, uh, and, and about this. Coverage everywhere, including Smithsonian Magazine. Yeah. Yeah, and the Trib did a great job. The yeah. Trib did a very nice job. Of well, well, I, you know, Trib, uh, we know Cheryl DeVore. She's a, a friend of the show, and she wrote some articles uh, mm-hmm. for the Trib. Um, and again, I and I and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but Patty Wetley at WTTW was on this mm-hmm. before pretty mm-hmm. much anybody in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So congratulations yeah, to her. her. Yep. Yep. So the fight is on now. Um, what? The uh, Natural Land Institute did after the 28th was withdraw their request for the temporary restraining order and the temporary injunction. However, the complaint stands. Mm -hmm. The the complaint is still on file with the federal courthouse. And that that, uh, the the legal team um, that Kerry has assembled uh, continues to do research and will do some depositions and there will be a trial. And one of the major focuses of the trial will be whether or not the um, Illinois Department of Transportation's uh, environmental assessment was uh, done properly. And Natural Land Institute uh, has found and read, of course, read the environmental assessment, which was done several years ago, and found it to be, as Kerry said, deeply flawed. Uh, The the key element that they found in, as a flaw was that, amazingly, uh, the environmental assessment did not find any rusty patch bumblebees, which is a federally endangered animal, federally endangered insect. They also did not find uh, six of the state-listed um, endangered plant species including the, oh, I'm not good at this, but the, the dandelion false. Yes. Okay. The, and so they didn't find those. And yet the ecologist uh, that is employed by Natural Land Institute sees these things on a regular basis. Um, hmm. So, you know, and it turns, it, ironically, as fate would have it, our nephew Ian Pierce is a PhD in botany. And he uh, has has been engaged in a in a survey of the rusty patch bumblebee, and he visited us this uh, summer when he was researching various places. He I contacted him, and he said he did not go to the Bell Bowl Prairie, but that Northern Illinois is one of the richest areas of this endangered species. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're everywhere. They're and they're key important pollinators as well. So. It, the fact that the environmental assessment missed these seven endangered species of animals and plants uh, is what led Natural Land Institute to believe that the study was naturally was uh, fatally flawed. However, the goal of the the lawsuit is not to sort of like gain monetary, uh, you know, damages or anything like that, because you can't rebuild. Uh, an 8,000 year old dry gravel prairie. You simply can't do it and you can't move it. No, Uh, that's something, I mean, I'm new to this game, Mike and Peggy. I, I didn't know about the Belboro Prairie, so I'm getting educated on it. But one of the things that I learned that was very interesting is that you can't pick it up no matter how big your scoop is (laughs) and, and move it because the, 
not only uh, do the plants not necessarily tolerate that, and you guys would know way more about that than I do, but the, the uh, microbiome of the soil is very unique and, and also delicate. And so if you yeah. just sort of scoop it all up, if, and if you don't get it all, it, it can't yeah. be done. It just is simply and the horizons and then, you of know, the soil and everything. It's a prairie on yes. site. It's not a prairie yes. if you move it. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And, and, you know, the goal of the lawsuit is not to uh, get monetary damages. It is not to just sort of thumb your nose at the airport authority. The air, the, the uh, goal is to say, wow, design uh, ideas for airports and for other buildings have gone so far uh, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, for example, you know, and so let's, let's use best practices. The, uh, Judy Barnard, who is one of the uh, members of the board for Natural Lands Institute is also the secretary of Sustain Rockford. And so we talk a lot. And she brought along at the press conference on the 27th, when the complaint was filed, she brought along this really thick document that is the environmental design criteria used by the Chicago Airport Authority. They have green roofs on many of their buildings. Mm -hmm. They have they have, I think, goats out there grazing. They have they have apiaries. They are raising bees. And you don't necessarily to, to need uh, 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 retention ponds if you have no. permeable pavement. Uh, and this, That's right. Uh, Domen uh, Domenico uh, D'Alessandro has talked about mm -hmm. that on our show as well, right. and he's he's right. really an advocate for not just saving the prairie, but building on it, making mm -hmm. something special out yep. of that area. And yep. uh, I'm, a park, I'm with creating a, a yeah. Uh, show show uh, people uh, what can be done, right? And, and, and it seems to me that that's right in line with what the. Uh, conference is going to be about yeah. the uh, Greentown Rockford. Let's let's be bold for crying out loud. Let's let's mm -hmm. do something magnificent. Let's not just mm -hmm. save something. Let's mm -hmm. make it better than yep. it was yep. in July of 2021. And it yeah. can it can be done. Um, we're we're basically out of time, but this is obviously Belleville Prairie is not the only thing that will be discussed. Mm -hmm. I mean, Doug Scott, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for the Great Plains Institute, is going to be talking about opportunities for the Rockford area to move toward net zero emissions, right. which which is a goal of of many many communities. Um, right. uh, sustainability and Climate Action Plan 101 is going to be discussed. As we just mentioned, preserving land and water for future generations. Mm -hmm. The importance of groundwater. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. st strategies uh, to reduce food waste and greenhouse gas mm -hmm. emissions. And you're even going to have a tour uh, of the yeah. Rockford area. What, what's Very briefly, what's going to be on that tour? Uh, we've got two buses lined up from the very generous folks at the Rockford Mass Transit District, and we'll be driving around the center part of town uh, to sustainability sites, those sites that have really incorporated a lot of sustainability elements. Mm -hmm. So that'll take about 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, all right. Um, I, yeah, I, wish... and I was just going to mention there's Go a ahead, couple Dick. of other things, you know, urban agriculture, solar energy. Mm -hmm. Um, greenways, healthy communities. There's a lot of health and wellness right. involved. So something for I, everyone's interests. Yeah, I think if you allow me just this one minute. Sure. Uh, what I've learned is that sustainability is like the proverbial three-legged stool, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, a lot of people use acronyms that, that help. It helps me. But, you know, people, planet, and prosperity. Or uh, environment, 
equity, and economy. So without any one of those components, it doesn't work. So the Natural Land Institute wants to work with, for example, mm-hmm. the airport authority to create not just something great, but to create something that's more sustainable than it otherwise would have been. And that's what we want to do with our communities is we need to move to see that sustainability is not a, doesn't depend on just environmental sensitivity. It requires really a holistic view and something that people not only can do, but a lot of best practices have been out there for 10, 15, 20 years. And all we need to do is appropriate them. I know, say only, but it, it ends up being a matter of political and personal will, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's, it's all, not a it's, question of right. how. We know how. And priorities. Wow. Well, yeah, priorities. Yeah, I, I think often the the personal will is there. The political will is far behind, often lacking. Mm-hmm. We just we just don't know. I mean, and that's something we're going to be dis- discussing in the next hour. How do you how do you translate lofty speeches into political will and get things done? It's hard. Well, well, at at Glasgow they've got Greta Thunberg and her her <laughs> uh, cast of thousands. At the Greentown Rockford conference, we will have over 160 students. And I will be welcoming them personally at the beginning and asking them to stand and and asking them to remain standing if they think the the other adults in the room are going to need their help going forward. Fantastic. I'm pretty sure they're going to remain standing. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Brad Roos, thank you. Uh, he's from Sustain Rockford. Of course, if you want more information about the conference, go to greentownconference.com. You can also go to my website, mikenovak.net. Mm-hmm. I've got the links there and a, a link to where you can register. Hey, turn it into a thousand people. Let's, let's, let's go from 500 to a thousand and let them try to Ooh. deal with it. Uh, <laughs> well, and you can join virtually too, if you don't want to join. That's right. right. Exactly. Exactly right. All right. Exactly. Uh, much success with the conference this week. Thank you for being with us, Brad Roos. My pleasure. Thank you both, Mike and Peggy. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Molecki. More to come. Stick around, please. difficult to imagine anything more powerful than a severe storm. They can come upon us and have a devastating impact on our trees and homes. Heavy winds can uproot entire trees of any size, especially when the soil has become saturated by abundant rain. They can also cause very large branches to snap and fall. Lightning strikes, winds, snow and ice, all these things can put a valued tree at risk and even compromise the safety of your property. Mother Nature is unpredictable. The best thing you can do is to be prepared. Bartlett Tree Experts is here to help. Our Arborist representatives are experts in pre-storm strategies that can reduce the likelihood of storm damage to your trees. When they visit your property, they will inspect, assess, and recommend an appropriate course of action. Pruning can remove dangerous dead branches or target heavy limbs that may pose a threat in high winds. Structural support systems such as high-strength cable or bracing rods can make it less likely to fail. Lightning protection systems can protect high value, susceptible, or mature trees and safely conduct strikes to the ground. And based on the location of the tree and its proximity to walkways or structures, Bartlett Tree Experts can also provide safe removal of trees that pose a high risk of failure. Now when a storm does hit, we can work long and hard to help remediate tree damage. If our clients' trees and properties are impacted, we understand their needs may be pressing. We meet this urgency by mobilizing our crews immediately upon the passing of the storm. And because we operate in many areas, we are able to bring these teams in quickly from other parts of the country 
not impacted by severe weather, and we begin working as soon as conditions allow. Once emergency services are complete, we begin the process of cleanup and repair on other storm damaged trees and shrubs. Even if your trees seem unharmed, it's a good idea to have one of our arbors perform a more detailed inspection. Sometimes critical damage to a tree can possibly go unnoticed to an untrained eye. So remember, before the storm and after, Bartlett Tree Experts is here to help. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-saw of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I'm trying to send myself something here that uh, happened in, in, and I don't know if it's going to show up or not, but I, I've got a couple mm-hmm. of photos that uh, from things that went on uh, in my yard this week, which was, uh, you know, before we get to the... Uh, the goings on in your yard? I had, boy, you you saw some of the goings on in my yard. Uh, and Oh, yeah. Okay. Those oh, yeah. goings on. Yeah. And, Ta- and, time blends. I lose track. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to send, and I, realize, I just tried to send myself uh, a couple of videos and uh, and they just and what happened is they, I don't know if people want to see a couple of those videos over breakfast. Well, I'm, I would tell them not to eat breakfast and I'd tell them to avert their eyes for 30 seconds. Uh, <sighs> but they they're verticals because I shot them so that I could post them on Instagram. I tell you, the tyranny of of social media. I just I can't tell you how <laughs> I don't even, I know another social media rant. Well, but once uh, it's once it's. Once it's the metaverse, it's all going to be beautiful. Oh, my God. Zuckerberg, uh, nobody cares. Your your meta whatever. Jeez. Oh, metaverse. Meta- there was an entire Whoa. op-ed in the New York Times the other day about all the billionaires and the metaverse world they're trying to create that is trapping the rest of the world. The meta schmeta is what I what I say to you guys is uh, just uh, whatever, whatever you guys want to do, whatever you know. You're all you're all gazillionaires, and uh, it doesn't matter uh, what we say. Well, I can show something here, and it's going to be sideways. Uh, I think, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, um, it is. Uh, yeah, looks, the woodpecker's <laughs> upside down. But Gravity this, is not working in that this photo. Is, this is in my backyard. Uh, tilt your heads, folks. Uh, tilt your heads. And you can see the downy and a sparrow up there going, hey, when do I get some of that? One of, one of the things I've noticed about the suet cakes out in the yard, except for the woodpecker, basically it's the sparrows. Uh, the juncos come to the yard, and they're eating healthy. They're eating uh, the Joe Pye weed seeds and the uh, coneflower seeds. And the the sparrows are eating the junk food, which is in well, the, the suet cakes there. 
the the nuts the nut hatches and the chickadees like as well on the suet and you probably will have i don't nut hatches i don't get those don't in the them. city they don't come to the city you come probably on. will nut hatches are everywhere if you're getting juncos you're going to get nut hatches all right oh okay so here's the i think i can do this real quick too this is um all right, this is the one where we're going to warn people. Avert your eyes. <laughs> you might want to avert your unless, you know, unless you're a fan. Well, Bruce is saying the bird was cool. So upside down. Well, yeah, the, this no, is no, no, no. Your bird video. He says that was cool. The one you're going to put up now. Oh, the one I'm going to put up now. Yeah, here's here's the deal. Uh, we're walking out there in the backyard the other day to go out. Here it is. I think that's it. Uh, we're walking out. And I can't believe I look out the back window, you know, and that's why I did a I did a YouTube post of it, and it was do 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 looking out my back door, um, and I didn't realize that might uh, fool some people into thinking, oh, this is going to be fun, <laughs> except it's a hawk, and the hawk Cooper's hawk Cooper's hawk grabbed a uh, I think it was a pigeon, um, and. And and this is in the middle of Logan Square in Chicago. So we're looking at uh, this uh, video. I'm, I'm looking at it. So I, oh, I got to shoot this. So, all right, I'm going to show this. If you're squeamish, and it's not even that, you know, in terms of nature that you might see on on natural, National Geographic or the Discovery mm-hmm. Channel, not that much, really, because it's from a distance. But this is what I saw. So uh, I'll count down, three, two, one. If you want to avert your eyes for 30 seconds, uh, or uh, actually it's more like 40 or 50 seconds. Um, and I'll let you know when we're done. Three, two, two one. one. So this was in my backyard, in the middle of the city of Chicago, in Logan Square, Cooper's Hawk. And look at the, the feathers there from... Uh, what was left of the pigeon and the Cooper's just sort of there. And I, and I was glad my cat wasn't out there to tell you the truth. Um, but it just shows you that nature can appear anywhere in uh, even in urban areas. This is what we call urban nature. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and what happened is I, I thought, well, maybe I can sneak out on the porch and get a better shot because this is through a window. It's not particularly clear. It's clear enough. Uh, and then the the hawk grabbed the carcass and immediately. I love that part where the feather goes flying. Um, when it, so that was mm-hmm. what happened uh, in my do 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 looking out my back yeah. door. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm you telling you, just find these piles of of feathers. Yeah, like, same thing here. I get a lot of Cooper's hawks, but and they you, go scooting between the houses. Right. Yeah, you said you said that. Uh, I I saw one. Oh, got to be more than a decade ago on a telephone pole in the back, uh, in the alley, and I'm sitting on the porch, and I go, "Oh, look, there's a hawk!" All of a sudden, it swoops down, grabs a rat in the yard next door, and flies off with it. And I thought, "Wow, that's great rat control." I want that. I want more of that <laughs> in my neighborhood. Um, so I thought that, and, and I'm going to show one more photo. I should have had you sent uh, stuff too. Um, I got actually two more. Remember the story the other week, um, Wells Park in Chicago was overrun by grubs. Oh, the grubs. Yeah. yeah. They were uh, telling these stories of people walking their dogs in their 
feeling the ground is kind of squishy and they look down and there's thousands and thousands of, of grubs. So I thought, okay, I've got to, and I went maybe four or five days after the report came out. It was on, uh, in block club and on WTTW. Um, I'm telling you, Patty Wetley's doing some great environmental and nature reporting for, uh, for WTTW. So we, uh, Kathleen and I go over there and I don't have, I should have sent the shot. I don't have it here. Uh, but the, the baseball fields are wasteland. There's no grass, nothing. Uh, and, and I've been there before. Um, and normally there's grass in the outfield. There's nothing. And then I didn't have a, I should have brought a trowel, but it didn't need it. Kathleen, Kathleen hands me a stick and I start digging with the stick and right away, there we go. I'm uncovering Ew. grubs and they're all over the place. It didn't take much to like, dig up a few grubs they were still there i imagine now it, well, it's still fairly ground still fairly warm uh they the park district apparently said they were going to treat the ground i i'd like to know what they're treating it with um yeah i have that that would be something to uh ask the park district about but uh and there was a little uh, a mom and her little girl there and they were fascinated by by the grubs and the ground was all bumpy and lumpy and um soft uh it had just been worked over just uh, uh, uh unbelievable so I, I i was glad i got to part see this is again nature in the city here's mm-hmm. nature in the city here's the a, grubs here's... had a party and didn't invite anybody else that's right well until the neighbors called the cops and <laughs> something like that um <laughs> And this is, uh, I, I, you know, I got, as I mentioned on the show the other week, I got my plants in uh, and I decided to take a little photo of them in the living room mm-hmm. looking out, do, 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 looking out my front door or front window. Uh, and the, and you can see why they go there because there's the four windows there and there's two on the left side. So I got six windows there with a southern exposure. You would never know it because it's still dark as heck in the house although we have a skylight right above center which we added we had added uh boy you 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 couldn't imagine how dark this living room was for having six windows and a southern you know four of them southern exposure two of them eastern exposure i don't know how the house stayed as dark as it was but uh as you can see i've got a few plants um and now it's a matter of getting them through the winter um but there was a beautiful uh, late afternoon light there. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, let's, let's take a photo. You had another photo with Legata in it. If I recall sitting there amongst the plants. Uh, not that I took recently. It was something about their back in the house and Legata was there. Um, wasn't me. Don't think so. I don't, I don't uh, remember anything like that. So, all right. All right. So we, so we have a comment back actually from Domenico de Alessandro. Oh, who, who has become a, a, a listener and a viewer of the show. Thank you, Domenico. Thank yes. you. He says that was a good conversation regarding the prairie. However, I think we need to take another step forward. The speaker mentioned the three-legged stool, which is also called the sustainability model. The problem with that model is that it gives the same value to nature as it does to the economy, which is a false equivalent. In my first presentation, I spoke about the slide. We need to place nature first. 
We depend on the biosphere for our life. The economy was created by us, and we can manipulate it to whatever we wish. This is a much longer conversation to have. Oh, absolutely, Domenico, you're you're spot on. It's it, this is mm-hmm. just the beginning, and if 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 people think that uh, uh, environmentalists are going to be satisfied by just chopping up that prairie and say, oh, we're going to save that little bit over there. You got a, another guest coming. That's that's yep. not the way this is going to play out. It better not. I, I certainly hope it doesn't. So uh, well, well spoken, uh, Domenico. Um, and, th- we actually thank, have a... and thank you for being yeah. a new uh, uh, viewer. Yeah. To, we'll to need to continue that conversation soon. And yeah. then back to the house plants. Snappy J Dog says, I get ants and spider mites in my indoor overwintering plants. How to avoid um spider mites uh from what i understand uh, like very dry conditions you have to monitor uh spritzing helps uh you know uh, moisture helps with uh uh keep air circulating ants i don't know what to tell you i've got ants Uh, i found an ant on my computer in the living room uh the other day a couple of them i'm like what see that's what that's what put the post up i was talking about the ant that could be the ant was like uh, fingering on the keyboard um And uh, I don't know why they're still here. Usually they disappear. We, you know, we have ants in the summer. I mean, what are you going to do? It's like you have to be careful about leaving Legata's food bowl out. Try to raise it up if you can. If you remember, we actually do a moat, put the um, bowl in a moat so that the ants can't, they don't swim very well and they can't get to the food. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, um, I get scale. Uh, on my plants. I know that beautiful chef Lura, that eight foot tall chef Lura by the end of the winter is going to be covered in scale unless I get, take care of it regularly, which is the scale is there now. It's just right. It just, uh, that's why I take them outdoors because what happens is all the other predatory insects and rain and everything else come, the ants come and, you know, by the time the summer is over, the scale is gone. I mean, that's the, my best way to treat scale is take a plant outdoors for the summer. Uh, but you bring them in and then they're in this confined area. You know, you could put a systemic uh, 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 pesticide in the container. And I don't have as much problem with systemics indoors as I do out because it's in a container and it's not going anywhere. That's uh, one way you can deal with things. Um, Judy, Judy, Judy Cole <laughs> says she had a squirrel on her desk sorting mail. <laughs> Judy, how do you okay. tra- how do you train them to do that? That's what I want to know. We get so can much. They ju- clear, can they read email? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and Al- uh, Alexandra says repot your overwintering plants in sterilized pots and new soil. Don't bring in outdoor soil or fill dirty pots. Well, maybe that's you, Alexandra. I'm not repotting everything. No way. I'm not repotting anything. Well, maybe that's not true. There's usually at the end of the season. There's one or two. I, I have repotted a couple of new things, started some babies, um, and I repotted some things during the summer. I meant to repot more. It didn't happen. Uh, but, uh, no, I just I just sort of I, – I took some of them, put them in the basement, and uh, quarantined them for a while, uh, especially because – I don't know about you guys, and I have said this for years. Fall is when the white flies come, and they're all over my yard every yard, every year. So you're, you're, yeah, you're going, hmm, what? And I've asked other people and they say, well, I don't know, but I get white flies every fall, late summer, early fall, 
white flies everywhere. So I have to take the plants, I quarantine them in the basement, and then I go down there and I shake them. And if the white flies come out, you're staying down there for a while. And I, and I, and I, and I do that until, I mean, I, and I hose them down before I put them in there too. Uh, and then shake them until there's no white flies coming off. Then I can bring them upstairs. Um, and I have not had a white fly problem in, uh, the house, but, um, scale I get, uh, ants, you know, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, Alexandra's right that you bring in pots, some ants are going to be in them and that maybe that's what's going on. Um, snappy J dog said they had a cat bowl moat too. Um, uh, and what else? Spray plants with a weak soap solution. Yep, you can do that. You know, but the thing is, make sh- sure you know what you're using it for. Identify the insect. Identify the treatment. Do it by label direction. Don't just spray because you can. Make sure you know what you're dealing with. Linda says white flies were bad this year. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um. Uh, spray mites with leftover COVID alcohol. I guess you have, you'd have to be careful. You don't want to damage the leaves on the plant. Um, and, uh, Linda says I have a big black hornet nest in my backyard. Well, good for you. <laughs> good luck. Good luck with that. All right. We just have a, a, a few minutes. I did want to talk. We did mention we were going to talk a little bit about, uh, COPE 26. Yeah. Is it COPE, COP, COP? whatever conference of the parties 26 right exactly and a lot of people don't know what the name oh wait we we've got this there we go a lot of people don't know what the name stands for it's conference of the parties it's an annual meeting among signatories to the united nations framework convention on climate change all of you know that as the unfccc right i talk about that all the time that's a joke um Mm -hmm. But the UNFCCC was established in 1992 to acknowledge the global threat of climate change and to begin the process of creating international agreements and responses to the threat. And uh, part of the response was an annual conference of the parties, COP or COPE or COP, where the signatories of the UNFCCC, which is, (laughs) that's a mouthful, would meet yeah, to re- yeah you lost me here <laughs> uh well no so the response for no, no, i'm saying too, too many acronyms in yeah other words. right <laughs> there's only only using two here unfccc and cop which is the conference of the parties anyway the idea was to have an annual conference where the signatories would meet to review and plan the implementation of the convention if you've been around a while um you might remember the kyoto protocol which came out of COPE 3 back in the day, 1997, um, was the first legally binding international treaty intended to implement the goal of combating dangerous, this is quotes, air quotes, dangerous human interference in the climate system. The problem was the United States was not part of that. I don't know if you remember, and that was was Clinton Mm -hmm. administration. So we haven't been... Uh, always a particularly good neighbor when it comes uh, to climate change. And uh, and given that it continues, the uh, carbon dioxide levels continue to rise over the past 20 years, 25, we're, you know, we're 
so it'll be 26 now. Uh, we haven't done a good job, and, and you know who's calling them out is uh, Greta Thunberg. Who's, among among thousands of others, yes. Yeah. She was accusing the, them of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Actually, it was we blah, blah. We can't play her entire clip. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I would love, no, because she, she dropped an F-bomb in the middle of that, too. Although I saw it, uh, a, a, a clip on the Washington Post site, and they edited that out. I would like to have seen the F-bomb. I could find it if I if I looked for it. Mm, but, actually, it was in the Washington Post clip. Uh, well, not the one I saw. So, hmm. uh, and, and there were 100,000 people. Well, they had the student march on Friday. And uh, 100,000 people, I, that was apparently 25 on Friday, and 100,000 yesterday uh, marching. And... Uh, in, in Glasgow, Scotland. In Glasgow, yes. Scotland. Yeah. Which is where it's taking place. And, and it's it's kind of interesting watching all the different groups. I think one of the articles that you had linked to off of the blog this week of just how many different groups, everybody coming together and just saying, you know, it's it's got to be, it's got to be grassroots. It's got to be private groups well, and not just big companies and big industry and and government. Right. And this make- is kind of what we were talking about with Brad Roos from mm-hmm. Sustain Rockford. It's, where's, where it's, it's got to be personal will and political will. But without the political will, nothing is going to happen. And, yeah. and so uh, among the, the, uh, the uh, decisions that, were, that have been made are to protect Earth's forests. Um, but that has been done before. You know, that's that's part of the problem. We these folks Nothing say that. Happens. Right. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll. Uh, the idea is uh, the, uh, the the UK said it has received pledges from leaders representing more than 85 percent of the world's forests, including the U.S., to halt and reverse deforestation by 2030. Among them are Brazil. Think that's going to happen with Bolasarno or I'm sorry, Bolt. Uh, whatever <laughs> yeah and and, and with that guy in charge very, uh china yeah. colombia congo indonesia russia and the united states you know even the united states i shouldn't even say even do you think this uh build back better plan with the climate change initiatives 500 million dollars half a billion dollars think that's going to go through hope it does yeah well this is off of um a pbs story um some campaigners were distrustful of the motives of big investors in general. A quote, many of the financial institutions meeting today have made a killing from the climate and ecological crisis, and we should be deeply suspicious of any attempt to spin them as heroes, said Dorothy Guerrero, head of the policy at the non-governmental group Global Justice Now. Governments must regulate the process and lead the transition instead of just handing it over to corporations. And on Tuesday, uh, Biden, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, uh, announced a plan to reduce methane. I was listening to a news report this morning on, uh, uh, actually on um, Lumpen Radio, uh, before our show came on. Where you can hear the Mike Novak show at 8 a.m. on Sundays. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy kept saying methane, and I was like, "Who thane? Methane? Uh, okay, um, 
I've always known it as methane, but I could be wrong. Euthane. Uh, right. Euthane, methane, wethane. Uh, anyway, uh, there's a plan to reduce methane emissions. The uh, uh, the overall methane emissions, sh- uh, they're, they're hoping to reduce by 30% by 2030 uh, by clamping down on methane flaring and leaks from oil wells and gas pipelines. It's considered, that's the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. But when you get to cattle... And meat production, mm, those people are not going to be happy with that if uh, if we cut back on our uh, meat production. So it'll be interesting to see if we can even cap and fix the leaks in um, methane emissions. And and one other thing, and by the way, I read about that years ago, uh, like three or four, maybe five years ago, I read a story about how methane all over the United States, there's so many pipes that are so old that just leak mm-hmm. methane. And if you could just cap that, you would save a lot of gas. You would keep methane from going into the atmosphere. Natural gas, folks. Remember, it ain't just natural gas. Gas, It's methane. Um, but the other thing is about that some folks are arguing about is how undemocratic that is this is um it uh, in um the guardian there was an article before it started that said cop26 will be the whitest and most privileged ever worn mm-hmm. campaigners um thousands from frontline communities in global south have been excluded activists claim yep um and um where where's the uh it says it was it was um hard to get there because of covid restrictions uh it's expensive so a lot of representatives from the global south which is now a phrase that's used a lot so, uh, wait i think that's rick i think i think that's rick logging in uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll uh, pop the uh, mic off. Like, uh, what was that? <laughs> oh, yeah. There he is, uh, Rick. We're going to be with you in a second. We got we got a break here. We're just dis- discussing. Uh, uh, in fact, I can I can pop that up. Uh, uh, COP is how do you pronounce it? Is it COP? Is it COPE? Is it COP twenty six? What do, what do you use? COP twenty six. COP. Okay. So there we go. Or as, or as we said growing up in Queens, the police. Some people, you know, just in Queens. All right. All right. We need to take a break. Uh, Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Rick, <laughs> Rick DeMaio is there. We've got some weather and meteorology stuff coming up. And we'll, we'll even talk a little bit more about COP26. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. We are your doctors. You trust us. You trust us. You trust us. You trust us. 
You trust us with your life. You trust us with those you love. So trust us when we say, get vaccinated against COVID-19. The vaccines are safe. They are proven to work. You may have wanted to wait. I get it. But don't wait until it's too late. Trust us. Trust us. Trust us. Trust us. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Welcome back to the show, and there he is, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Um, I found the paragraph that I was uh, looking for. Um, it says, uh, and this is again in in The Guardian, uh, the COP26 coalition, which represents indigenous movements, vulnerable communities, trade unionists, and youth strikers around the world, says that up to two-thirds of those it was helping it to travel to Glasgow have given up, overwhelmed by a combination of visa and accreditation problems, lack of access to COVID vaccines, and changing travel rules, as well as scarce and expensive accommodation. So unfortunately, that's also part of of the whole thing. You've got, and this is what Greta Thunberg is, is railing against, the... Privileged people in the room making the decisions for the poor people of the world. And um, they, they, I don't know, Rick, what are you seeing coming out of this? Have, have you, uh, are you encouraged by what you've seen so far? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the methane pledge um, is, is a good one. That's a good start. I think uh, the fact that we're meeting this year compared to last year, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the fact that Biden is there. That's a good one. So I, I tend to focus on the larger positives. And I mean, in any large conference that, you know, includes 196 countries, once you get down into the granular details, you're always going to find, you know, that things are not going as well as they possibly could. But um, I'm, I'm just becoming a little bit more disheartened with, with Greta because it just seems like she thinks that if you just say that you have to change things yesterday, that they're going to happen. And that's that's not how things work. Um, and saying that, you know, privileged people are the ones that are the ones who are in charge. Unfortunately, that's how things work, because to become a privileged person, you need to pay your dues. You need to be part of the game for a while. And just because you're screaming and yelling and hold a sign doesn't mean you get to the front of the line. So. Um, I, I, I still think that, you know, she's a great role model for a lot of young people around the world. But what I still don't see happening is the young people really walking the walk, even though they're talking the talk. Uh, they're still on their phones way too much. That uses, you know, sending stuff to the cloud that uses electricity. Uh, they're still ordering things from their phone through Amazon and still taking Uber without thinking about whether or not that driver is driving a car that's a hybrid as opposed to taking mass transportation. So, um, and I see it. I mean, I'm at a bunch of different schools and as much as the students are in this, you know, role of, you know, maybe how people were, you know, back in the sixties, we get kind of caught up in the wave. 
Um, in the end, you're doing things to make yourself comfortable. And this is one generation that surround themselves with comfort. So uh, from that standpoint, I, I think if Greta wants to get upset, she's, she needs to get upset not at the people in charge, but the people that she's trying to um, charge up. Okay. Well spoken. Appreciate that. Um, so uh, it continues, and it'll go uh, – I forget how long it goes. It's uh, a, to it, the 12th. To the 12th. To the 12th. All right, so that's yeah. this Friday. So we got a lot more uh, to see uh, coming out of that conference, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I want to show something here that you sent, which is very, very cool. Um, this is uh, September 6th along Lakeshore Drive in yeah. Chicago. Uh, and then the comparison to yeah. two months later and yeah, other than color, not much difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we haven't built any uh, buildings. Less traffic. <laughs> less traffic. No, no. But yeah, what I'm saying is it's not, the trees aren't bare, you know, it's two months. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it is kind of interesting, Peg. The, the um, I'm actually out in Bolingbrook right now. I was at a wedding in Lamont last night. Um, and we're heading over to the Morton Arboretum um, right after this. I'm, I'm cool. really interested to see how the trees look at the Morton Arboretum. But it just seems that most of the trees have almost like 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 a dead wood look to them. It's not really bright colors. But I may be I may be surprised. So uh, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, this yeah I'm looking at a maple out my window that's pretty bright. Yeah, the maples always seem to always seem to pull through, isn't that right, Peg? They always seem to be the ones that shine the most. Maples, uh, sweet gums have a uh, great color. Um, there's, there's enough. And, and actually I, I have not been, I, I haven't gotten out too much, but, uh, from what I have seen, um, the color's been uh, nice. I mean, it's, it's not spectacular color, but it's, right. there's right. no, you know, there's no brilliance, but especially late afternoon right. sun hitting the trees has been gorgeous. Oh yeah, yeah, and I and I think you'll get that almost every year. You'll get that late afternoon sun pop up, and you go, "Wow, that looks pretty cool." So no, I'm not completely down on the fall colors, but um, <laughs> uh, I just noticed that it just it it seemed to have been. Uh, we've had better years in the past. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and you know the fall colors speak very highly of you, so uh, you shouldn't uh, <laughs> disparage them. Uh, but if people you... have good hair days, bad hair days. Trees have good leaf days. That's good right, days. and yeah, then there, there there's. Go. Good rain days and uh, bad rain days, and uh, uh, this is a recent rainfall. Not not a whole lot uh, since you know, last week was uh, 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 not this past week, but the week before. You know, five inches. Oh yeah, four inches yeah. of rain yeah. I had in my yard, and now mm-hmm. not so much. Yeah, and and we'll continue that that dry pattern as well. Um, and you know, I and then if you still wanted to talk about the COP twenty six after we get through the weather, I'm all for it. I mean, I don't think we really addressed it as much as we could have, but we can get back to that if you want. Uh, but yeah, the rainfall that we've had, um, as we mentioned, was going to be light last week and it'll be light mm-hmm. this week up until we get to Thursday. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we could, we could pop back to that, but I'll tell you what, let's go through this and, and see what we've yeah. got. And then yeah, uh, at fine. the end, we'll have a little more time uh, to talk about uh, where that's headed. So uh what is interesting about the Midwest map is this, which is the snowfall uh, yeah. that, that happened in the last few days. 
Yeah, this was um, the backside of the cold air mass that came across the Great Lakes. You know, we've talked about the fact that the lakes have been remarkably warm this fall, um, anywhere between five and as much as seven degrees above normal. That'll come down pretty quickly. It always does. Um, it's always the depth of the warmth that's always kind of more interesting to look at, as with any large body of water. Um, but the temperatures that had come through were basically in the um, low to mid 30s. And when you have water temperatures in the mid 50s, um, all you really need is about a 15 to 20 degree difference between the surface and about 5,000 feet uh, to generate clouds that can produce snow. What's interesting is that because the lakes were so warm, right along the shoreline, uh, much of the snow was falling and melting because the air was coming off the water mm -hmm. that was relatively warm. So you had to go inland um, a good 10 to 15, almost 20 miles for the air temperature to be not modified by the lake. And because of that, um, when you went inland across the northern part of the lower P and then the upper part of, or the northern part of the UP, the Keweenaw Peninsula itself, um, mm -hmm. anywhere between 10 and 12 inches of snow. In fact, where the National Weather Service office is located, there's four of them in Michigan. There's one in Detroit, one in uh, Green, uh, one in um, Grand Rapids, one in Gaylord. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's five. There's one in yeah. Sault Ste. Marie and also one in Marquette. Uh, the one in Gaylord had a record 11.3 inches of snow um, for the for November the second, and that was a record for the month. They've never seen that much snow um, wow. in the month of November. I know. And on top of that, it was early in the year. So these are some of the things that I always like to talk about is that what you're going to see with the Great Lakes with a changing climate is much more variability, which is why you have to press that more than climate change. Because if you tell someone in Gaylord, um, Michigan, that the climate is warming, they're going to be like, I just shoveled 11 inches yeah, of global warming. Right. And and the reason why we got so much snow was because we had a remarkably warm August, September and October. So the first batch of cold air came through, said, you know what, I'm going to produce a lot of snow because I can. That's what the atmosphere <laughs> yeah. does. So and, and speaking then of the warm lake temperatures now, a lot of the buoys are offline. So I, I wasn't able to check Wilmette, but the warmest, hottest water temperatures today. This is today. Benton Harbor is 57 at Zion, it's 56.3, and South Haven, Michigan, is 56.3. Yeah, and I think, Peg, those are uh, those are reports at the entrance to the harbors. Am I correct? Um, I'm not entirely yeah. sure where it is. Yeah, I, uh, it's I think it's 49.8 those... in Green Bay. So. Yeah, yeah, those uh, the, those I'm not are sure all where the it is because the buoys are entrance. offline. Yeah, those are all entrance to the harbors because the buoys were retrieved uh, yeah. just this past week. So yeah. uh, you can actually go, I think, to the either the National Weather Service office Twitter feed in Chicago or Milwaukee, and they showed the two buoys that Peg is referring to uh, were being um, were being trailed or, or uh, towed into the Wilmette Harbor. So now they're going to be in until March, which is kind of early, I think. I mean. I've seen them out there through early December, so I don't know why they're doing it earlier this yeah, year. I know when I that was, was pulled too, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so the, the, the numbers that you're referring to are the harbors. It doesn't mean that that's not the temperature of the lake. But again, when you have really, really warm lakes, in a normal year, this probably wouldn't have been lake effect snow. It would have been lake effect clouds. But the fact that it's warmer allowed the clouds to build more vertically. 
So instead of getting just some flurries, you ended up getting literally tall clouds up to 20,000 feet as opposed to 15. So wow. it's always important wow. to talk more about the possibilities of what happens with a highly variable climate. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. 11 inches of lake effect snow. Yeah, one, one, one thing I just thing want to show you. I just you. want to show you. Uh, Ooh, Halo. 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 Yeah, it's not. Yeah, this not. happens from time to time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so if you go if you go to the next couple of pictures, they were really cool. Well, now, I, recall, I wanted to say something until the echo came, and I, now it's gone away. That's good. Um, oh. It's it's Gaylord. Uh, I have fond memories of Gaylord because uh, growing up in Michigan, in Detroit area, we would often uh, vacation in uh, the upper, lower peninsula mm-hmm. or the upper peninsula, uh, and uh, we'd stop at Gaylord. There was a favorite hamburger spot. My 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 really? folks would take us to in Gaylord, so it was like, yeah, you it's like. Okay, we're going to have lunch in Gaylord. That was always like the destination, and then we'll, we'll continue our our journey north. So I'm thinking of them with eleven, what, twelve inches of snow, whatever they had. That that's uh, crazy stuff. All My right, last gas like, station on seventy five for a long time. Yep. Uh, right, right, right. You got to be you got to gas up before you get over the bridge because it's uh there's a lot of uh, miles there before uh, you get to the Upper Peninsula. Um, yeah, it, is, it is really interesting that part of the northern lower the northern you the, the northern lower peninsula. We need to come up with like a name for that, like Looper or something like that. Um, but yeah, once you get north of Gaylord, there's not much. It's just kind of flat and open territory unless you're going to the west side where you have Traverse City, Charlevoix, Sleeping Bear Dunes, mm-hmm. State Park, um, or the other side. But yeah, that's a really, really pretty part of the state, but also yeah. very wide open as well. All right. What nice. map did you want me to go to uh, next here? Well, no, there were there were some photographs there if you want. Oh to show yeah, yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Let me uh, let me do this. You're probably talking about this one. Well, that one that's the satellite view. Uh, but if you got the ones from the trees, so what oftentimes happens when you get early season lake effect snow, um, if the trees have still a lot of leaves on them, you get yeah. a lot of tree damage. Yeah, so there you was do. there was a lot of trees that came down uh, in this, and also you know I remember the. The heaviest lake effect snow in the history of Buffalo, New York, was actually in October. Actually, no, that was that was the second one. The, the largest one was the one that occurred a few years ago. Uh, but they had like literally 30 inches of snow because the lake was so warm and it got really cold and they had tremendous tree damage. So, again, these are the kind of things that you need to talk about in a scientific way so that people don't say, but I thought you said it was going to be like this. If I had a dollar for every time someone told me that about the weather, I'd be a millionaire. So that's why that's why that's why meteorologists will always kind of give somewhat of a conditional statement with the really tough forecast that goes out, you know, for five days. If someone says, "Hey, I heard we're going to get, um, you know, a big a big snow next week." I mean, even when I was in Loyola last week, uh, Kevin er- Erickson, the person who runs the garden, said um, that was really interesting stuff you sent on the frost and freeze. When do you think our next frost or freeze is going to be? And I gave him a whole thing, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, Kevin, remember, this is as of today, okay? As of today, this is what I think. And sure enough, they were able to cover up uh, most of their plants last week. We still have not had a freeze along the lakefront. And when yeah. I walked past, yeah, when I walked, Mike, you know, the, you know the garden I'm talking about, right, at Loyola's campus? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's right there on Kenmore and Loyola. It's a beautiful, you know, city garden. Right. Uh, they still had all of their kale and their red-green lettuce still thriving. And I think it's probably still doing that today. Maybe a little bit 
wilted because it did get cold, but we still have not yet had a freeze along the lakefront, which is remarkable. In my yard, the uh, the tomato plants finally pretty much uh, collapsed, but everything else yeah. it looks as if nothing has happened yet. So right, and, then, uh, and now we have sixty five degrees today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's look at the uh, upcoming. Uh, here's the uh, rainfall forecast. Um, and you know, it looks substantial, but it's not because the blue is not, uh, heavy rain really, is it? Yeah. And, and this is, and this is all going to come most likely, um, Friday into Saturday, even, even Thursday. I shouldn't say that this is more so like Thursday night. So this is really through, um, this is the next seven days, but I sent you two match, which was a five day. The five day keeps us dry right through Wednesday. Yeah, I didn't. We'll show, get- I didn't put that up there because uh, there was nothing happening on it. So I thought I'd, I'd cut to the chase here. Right, but the reason why I sent you the five is to show over the next five days is nothing, yeah. and then it's really day six and seven that we actually have some rain. Uh, so as nice as it is now, sixty to sixty-five today, it's going to be in the mid thirties, mid thirties next Saturday and Sunday. So we're, we're literally going back to almost like early October. And then almost, well, more like mid-October and then going into mid-November. But again, this time of the year, uh, I always said you get into that second or third week in November and you get some really, really wild swings. And the best thing about today being that it's a Sunday is that the Bears are not playing today. So I don't have any worries to be inside watching (laughs) TV and feeling miserable. They don't play until tomorrow night. Well, it's a good thing because they won't lose today. That's always a good thing. Um, uh, All right, here's... Here's the uh, jet stream today. I want now. This is fascinating. These jet stream uh, maps that you sent. This is today, and you can see why we're warming up with the flow coming yep. out of the southwest. Yep, and you get this big ridge pushing in. So even though we're in the low to mid 60s, we're in the mid 70s from Texas on up in Oklahoma, parts of Kansas, even eastern Colorado, who's already had you know a couple of bouts of snow, um, is in the mid 70s today. But that little low off the coast there um, may actually try to produce a tropical storm. Um, even though winds right now are over 30, 40 miles per hour, which would qualify it as a tropical, it's really not because it's what we call a baroclinic low. In other words, it's formed off the difference of two air masses. Um, all it's doing right now is it's developing a little bit further um, or at least more intense uh, due to the fact that it's moving basically over the Gulf Stream. So uh, there are 50 to 60 mile an hour winds wrapped around the center of that. Uh, there's some incredible like five to six foot storm surge going on uh, in parts of, I think, Charleston Harbor, uh, around Myrtle Beach, and then up into Wilmington as well. So there's flood advisories and flood warnings, not only for rain, but also coastal flooding um, as well. And then as you look at the next one, Uh, That big trough out west literally digs right into the upper Great Lakes. And typically on the front side of these big lows um, is where you get your surface low pressure. So the surface low pressure is going to be like literally over like northwestern Ohio. And with that said, there's going to be a huge push of Gulf of Mexico moisture um, into the southeast. There could actually be some flooding rains and even some severe weather uh, basically from New York through Pitts, through Pennsylvania, down through the Virginias. On the backside, very windy and very, very chilly weather on Friday into Saturday here. But then the next map actually shows that second area of strong winds on the backside 
re-deepen this low and pushes it a little bit further south. And this is where I think we'll probably see our first snow of the season. So this is for November 16th. So now there's going to be a secondary low that's going to form pretty much over like eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina. And this is going to produce another significant, probably severe weather outbreak for the deep south and southeast. Tornadoes galore with this type of setup. But on the backside, very, very strong winds, uh, cold air, and probably snow. So, so yesterday, today, tomorrow, and probably maybe into Tuesday, uh, we may see temperatures in the 60s, although Tuesday we may get a wind off the lake, so I don't think it's going to be as nice. But this is definitely the last two or three days of, I think, weather that you can go out and enjoy the fall foliage because we all know two things in the fall foliage season – the leaves completely losing their color altogether or the wind blowing them off the trees. And most likely by next Saturday, most of the leaves will be probably be blown off the, off the trees. So this is, uh, this is really good stuff today. Yeah. And, and this is this, the, the map for what you say might be a storm on the 16th and 17th of November, which would be a week. Let's see. Next Sunday is the 14th. So yeah, then the Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, not this coming week, but the following week. Right, right, the following week. And and this looks like, without a doubt, it's going to be another one where you'll get, you know, 40, 50-mile-an-hour winds all the way down the length of the lake. Um, it's going to be more of an Indiana-Michigan-type scenario because when the lows develop that way, the wind comes in from the north and west. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is going to be significant from a standpoint of probably producing our first Snow the season from a standpoint of you can see the flakes to a trace on the ground uh, to actually maybe even inch of snow. So typically you get your first few flakes around around the 15th or so of November. Um, the first trace generally around like the 25th to 26th. And then generally your first inch right around the 1st or 2nd of December. Um, we may get it all at once with this. It's, done, it's still a little bit too far east for significant snow for us, but it definitely looks windy and much, much colder around here next Saturday, next Friday, next Saturday, and definitely next Sunday. Yeah. Boy, there's that echo again. As you mentioned, as you mentioned um, there uh, is going to be dry weather for the next uh, several days, but then, so let's take us to Thursday. I, so I popped, the, this is the Thursday map for this week. Yeah, and this this is really where it's getting into the um, – it's really tapping into the Gulf of Mexico moisture. So there's going to be a lot of rain with this. You know, you can easily have t- temperatures upper 50s uh, from the evening all the way – or from the daytime all the way through the evening and the next day. And you get that a lot this time of year. You wake up in the morning, it's like a 50-mile or 50-degree 50 temperature, 50-degree dew point, um, and it's just windy and wet. You know, we, we've kind of learned how to adapt to those. But then the system – pulls off to the east, and then on the backside is when you start to get, you know, the cold air. So the Great Lakes, one of the interesting things about the Great Lakes also is if you look at just the shape of Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, and Lake Huron, you can almost put your hands around them. And oftentimes we've seen this in mid-November. You can get these storms as they begin to stall. They'll feed off the warmth of the Great Lakes, there was a famous storm, I think it was back in the early 90s, they call it the Lake Huron Hurricane, and it literally had an eye to it. And you can actually see the way the storm literally formed over Lake Huron and parts of eastern Lake Superior, similar to how they form off the east coast 
of the United States. So the warmth of the Great Lakes will actually add to the development of these storms if they do stall. This one will probably Gales be in November. Yeah, the gales of November, absolutely. Um, November tenth was the Edmund Fitzgerald. So yeah, the yeah the uh, November the tenth, um, and and that particular storm itself, same thing where the, you literally had the storm kind of like sit over the Great Lakes. So the Great Lakes do some really interesting things to us um, when they are warmer than the rest of the environment. Usually in the summertime, the difference of temperature between the lakes and the air isn't too much. When you start to see the difference of temperature in October, November, uh, weather patterns do some pretty interesting things. Mm-hmm. And you can see the uh, six to ten day temperatures here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, this, this one, this, these maps are are okay only because they'll capture a trend, but they won't really capture you know singular events. So yeah. because this is going um, through the 15th where it's going to capture two days of cold weather. It takes the three days of warm weather and it averages out. So you don't really see our warmth in this. If you, ah. you if you do like, like a, like a two day, a two day, a two day, that's probably a better way of looking at it because weather systems become much more transient this time of the year. These maps can be a bit misleading sometimes. Um, only unless you stayed within the confines of strong Southwest flow, which is what the, uh, the desert southwest in California is going to be in, uh, will generally be in a, in a cooler pattern. So again, when you stretch out um, any sort of time period, it misses the the high degree of variability. Um, so I'm not a real fan of these maps when you get into the more active fall season or the more active, um, you know, spring season. But one thing is for sure, um, our pattern over the next probably three to four weeks looks very, very active. And it's becoming more and more like it wants to become a pure La Nina pattern because now we've cooled off the northern, uh, we've cooled off the Gulf of Alaska quite a bit. So the doors are open for anything that comes in from the Gulf to have a lot more cold air on the backside of it. Um, So again, when you see this, this is what a normal La Nina pattern looks like, which is the cooler and normal temperatures from South America all the way over to the Dateline, and that's about six, 7,000 miles, um, that allows, or at least it hinders the ability for tropical ITCZ, intertropical convergence zone moisture, to influence the subtropical jet. So the tr- subtropical jet begins to subside, it weakens, and the systems coming across from the Northern Pacific get a little bit less resistance as they move into the United States. I still don't see anything coming from uh, the West Pacific, which is where you would see your typhoons. That's always the wild card this time of the year. But being that that's not happening, it's probably going to be more of a normal transition to a much more active pattern. Yeah. So, so again, you always have to back up long-term predictions with short-term analysis. And the area from the dateline on the left side of the map, right along the equator there, those blue little squiggly lines, you go down to the bottom and that shows that the water temperature is about two or three degrees centigrade below normal. And then you go to the the details on the bottom and go all the way to the right. And it shows you that the equatorial Pacific is basically at normal. And then you go to the North Atlantic and that's one degree centigrade above normal. So you see all the red, so that's 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. So much of the North Atlantic is 
pretty mild, but much of that area um, along the equator, that's where La Nina is developing. So when you look at that area and then you look at satellite information, um, it all kind of makes sense that when you start to see this developing, anything that's beginning to come in across the northern uh, the northern tier of the Cascades and into the Rocky Mountains pretty much has a clear shot. Okay, well, guess what? We're out of time. <laughs> so, well, more COP20. Well, it'll be finished next week, and then we can take a look at uh, at the results of the in, the entire conference and see uh, what good is coming out of it. I like your idea of trying to remain positive, although we have to be aware that there are negatives to come out of it as well, given that, we, you know, this is a 26-year we're trying to do this, and what has been accomplished? Uh, I just saw a report that said, uh, following the COVID year, it looks like we're going to pump more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than ever. Um, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, um, I, my, my, my lecture to my Loyola students last week and this Monday um, shows the, the variation in carbon dioxide last year and how it went down uh, by about 9% and how it came right back up. But what you could really do, and we can talk more about that next week, and I'll share maps with you. Um, it also shows you how the different countries went up as well. Uh, as soon as the restrictions were lifted in China, they went back up. As soon as the restrictions were lifted here in the United States, they went back up. And then it came right back down again last November uh, when we had that secondary surge. So it shows you that CO2 emissions can come down very quickly. However, it takes the atmosphere a lot longer to expunge that. Yeah. And the bottom line was uh, the, the global CO2, um, what's in the global CO2 is different from the emissions. So we emitted less, but the global CO2 uh, was still basically where it's been for the last 40 years, nowhere but going up. And, that, and that's a key point that a lot of people have to remember. Just because you turn off the heat, it doesn't mean that the temperature in the kitchen goes down right away. It's no. still pretty warm. All right. Give us a, a quick forecast. You've kind of done that already, but uh, let's recap. Yeah, we'll, we'll tabulate here. So 60 to 65 today, normal high is 52. Uh, Mid-60s probably um, tomorrow as well. And then a little bit cooler as the wind kind of relaxes from the south. That'll give us a lake breeze on Tuesday. But still, morning lows the next two days are going to be about 20 degrees warmer than they were last week. That's key. So if we were in the mid-20s last week in the burbs, and now we'll be in the mid-40s, that makes the day a lot much more um, enjoyable because sunset today is at 447. Ah. <laughs> I know. I know. A stark reality to uh, standard time. Uh, light rain Thursday, heavier rain on Friday, and then when we talk next week, temperatures – We'll be in the mid-30s. It'll be a much, much different weekend. Well, the good news was that uh, when I woke up, there was uh, light outside today. Trust me, the, the, the 7.30 sunrise on Thursday morning was not easy for my class that begins at 7.30 at Lewis. A lot oh, of my goodness. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right, Rick. Uh, thanks. Uh, enjoy the wedding. Um, and by the way, save that um, internet service you've got there because that is uh, – that is better than the one you have at home. I mean, real. By the way, guys, do you see the roses here? Yep. Wow. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. That's um, 
Uh, I'm in Bolingbrook right right now, and the fact that those roses look pretty good, even out here in Bolingbrook, shows you that even though it was cold, um, there's still some life left to the plants, right? Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. And uh, yeah. depending on uh, how severe a, a freeze we get, some of them might survive for um, another week. Who knows? And there's still buds, and they're trying to come out. So hopefully they'll still give them a little bit of juice. Right? Yeah, don't don't prune your roses now. By the way, don't prune them. It only sends a signal that they're supposed to send out more growth, and they they will not appreciate that when it gets cold. So I'll I'll let I'll let the pruner know that right away. Okay, thanks, Rick. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right. Uh, I believe. Bye, Mike. Bye. 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 All right. Let's get out of here. Uh, our thanks to uh, everybody who was on the show today, Dr. Alan Armitage, and you can take a look at his book. There it is, Tales of Big John and Other Creatures. Um, thanks to Brad Roos from Sustain Rockford. Don't forget that uh, you can be part of the Greentown Rockford Conference this Friday from uh, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMille, to Kathleen on the other side of the planet, wherever. Uh, to Legata and Basil. And until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.